As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today is a gentleman who always makes my provisional roster. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. It's a true honor to be on your provisional roster, Taylor. I'll I'll play for your team anytime, man. I appreciate that. We have lots of competitions uh, to cover this summer, to talk about this summer. So you're in the mix. We're not sure where you're going to be, Joe. Is it going to be Euros? <laughs> is it going to be Gold Cup? Is it going to be Olympics? Is it going to be Nations League? Maybe Copa America. Who knows? Do you have Do you have a tournament you're most excited for? Oh, man. It, I think I genuinely am. This sounds so sad and CONCACAF centric and like US men's national team ridiculous fanboy, but I, I think I am most excited for the Nations League, which again sounds so lame. I, I'm, I'm pro Nations League, by the way, but I mean, it's just, it's these two games in the middle, early June, but I'm excited because of how Berhalter and company have structured that little window. They've got extra friendlies on the outside of these two games to replicate World Cup qualifying. And that's what I'm really most looking forward to is when World Cup qualifying starts in September. But until that happens, Nations League for the summer is the closest thing we're actually going to get to that. And what do you mean when you say to sort of like mirror World Cup qualifying this time around? Yeah, so because of, of COVID and games being postponed right. from the last year and changed, CONCACAF World Cup qualifying is all compressed. It's congested. And so now instead of two game windows, it's three game windows. And that's, that's hard, right? That's a big difference, especially when you're thinking about how to manage minutes and how to get different players on the field. How do you get the most out of a group when you're playing more often than you would normally play? And so this is the chance for Berhalter to try things out. And it's four games instead of three, and not all players are going to be available for the first game of this window because of the Champions League final, which is a pretty good reason for Christian Pulisic and Zach Steffen, who we assume will be on this Nations League roster. They're on the provisional roster. They're likely to be on that final roster. It's not going to be a perfect dress rehearsal, but it's it's going to be close. And I think it's really wise that the U.S. has chosen to structure their late May, early June in this way. I agree with you. And so to give our listeners a, a schedule, if they don't already have it, uh, May 30th, they're playing uh, in Switzerland. Then we've got the game on June 3rd, the semifinal against Honduras. If the U.S. wins that, they go to the final where they would meet the winner of Costa Rica versus Mexico. They lose that. They'll go to the third place game. Both of those will be happening on June 6th. So you've got friendly 
Nations League, Nations League final or third place game. And then to round it out, we've got a game against Costa Rica in Salt Lake City on June 9th. So as Joe said, four games. Uh, Burhalter, I believe in the past, has said that the player that the team that plays in these games is unlikely to suit up in the Gold Cup. So we might get yeah. a lot of roster change. Uh, maybe we'll have a few overlaps. But for the most part, I think we're going to see the strongest possible teams, hopefully playing the strongest possible soccer in these four games. With that in mind, Joe, are there any names on the provisional roster that stood out to you or any names not on there that stood out to you? That I think that second part is actually the most interesting piece here. To me, looking at this 40-man provisional roster, there aren't guys who I thought were snubbed. There's no mm-hmm. Michael Bradley. There's no Josie Altador. That's not shocking at this point. I don't think those guys can be considered snubs. Sure, you know, there's no... There, there are no some of the guys playing in Germany in the lower divisions or, or that just simply haven't mm-hmm. been a part of the picture. And I, I'm sure we'll hear about that on Twitter after this show. But there aren't a lot of guys who have been involved in this group in the past that really are are missing here. Some names I'm excited about and hoping to see on this roster. Tim Weah has got to be close to the top. He's in this group. I think he should be one of the two or one of the top four wingers in this group. And you assume Berhalter is going to bring four or five wingers to this four-game roundup window, whatever you want to call it. I think Tim Weah, we missed him last time around in the March friendlies in Europe against Jamaica and Northern Ireland. This could be a great chance to see him. Brendan Aronson's another guy I'm really excited about, and we'll talk more about him later. But, I mean, this roster is just chock full of exciting names, and I think it's pretty indicative of where the pool is right now, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, it absolutely is, and I agree with you. If you look at the potential starting eleven. It is a starting eleven when you look at the clubs, at least, that the players play for that you would not have expected years ago to see some of those teams, to see some of those players where they are, which is very exciting. But then I would say you also do have Christian Roldan being on the provisional roster, for example, is a name that isn't surprising because it's a it's a person that Greg Berhalter, I think, has come to value, but is also not surprising because if you see what the Sounders are doing, you see how important yeah. he is to that team, yeah. and you see all the different things he can do. And Christian Roldan is a player that I was definitely ready to just be done with. Like, we've got the depth now, and I understand why he's included there, because if you need somebody who's familiar with the system, who's a veteran player who can lead from the locker room... That can be him. I don't know if he makes the final roster, but I think we will see him involved for the national team at some point. And that's yes. what we've been wanting from a national team manager for many years is a sort of natural progression of here's the squad or here's the pool. It gets refined. Some people come in, some people fall out, some people come back in if you're Kellen Acosta. But there's a natural progression as we build towards the 2022 World Cup that I think you're seeing Having already laid the foundations, Burhalter is now sort of continuing to build upon them with this provisional squad, and it really just makes me pretty happy, is my general takeaway from this one. Are you ready, Taylor, to to dig into all these games? Because it's gonna be like it's gonna be a busy yeah. soccer summer, especially yeah. for the US men's national team. You have these games end of May, early June, then there will be the Gold Cup with a different group. But I expect we're still gonna dig into that. Like there's gonna be a lot of soccer, man. Also the Euros. Kind of an important competition. <laughs> yes, and Copa America and the Olympics. It's gonna be busy. We're gonna have to have, I think, a lot of different people featuring on the Total Soccer Show, unless uh, yourself, uh, myself, and Ryan Bailey just choose not to sleep for like a month and a half straight, which I don't think is going to work too well. So we'll find a way to uh, cover it. We'll obviously find a way to cover this squad uh, in more depth. Uh, for now, Joe, anything else we should get into with the provisional roster? As we said, there's, what, 40-something players on there? So I'm not sure it's worth listing every single position and every single uh, roster spot. 
Yeah, I mean, if there's a player who's not on the roster that that you're angry about, make sure to email Taylor at total <laughs> Taylor at totalsoccershow dot com. Uh, definitely don't send me an email, uh, please and thank you. Yeah, no Jordan Morris question mark. That's definitely the one <laughs> that seems fitting. Usually, you get that when it's a player in Europe who's injured. Uh, this time around, I doubt we'll have as many complaints. Uh, you have mentioned a name that is on that roster in the form of Brendan Aronson. We're going to talk about, as we are want to do, uh, six different players. Some of them abroad, some of them in Major League Soccer. Uh, Joe, where shall we start this week? Well, last time we started domestic. So if you're okay, Taylor, let's start yep. across the Atlantic in Europe. Sure. Is that all right with you? Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Well, we'll start with the guy that I teased before, shall we? That's mm-hmm. Brendan Aronson. He started and scored a brace in RB Salzburg's 3-1 win over Sturm Graz on Sunday. He played that left midfield role in the, the 4-2-2-2. So the, it's the left mid, left attacking midfielder. It's fluid under Jesse Marsh there, although it won't be under Jesse Marsh much longer. Mm-hmm. Brendan Aronson kind of just bossed this game, and especially that left side, moving in and out of different spaces, tucking inside, being a little bit wider, pressing aggressively, recovering second balls, intercepting passes, and then scoring two goals. Brendan Aronson played so, so well on Sunday, Taylor. I was, or I, I guess I should say I'm continual, continuously impressed by what Aronson is doing for Salzburg. Yeah, you will, you will get no disagreement here because scoring two goals is always going to be impressive. It's always going to be a thing that needs to be focused upon. But I think it's also a thing that I've come to sort of expect from him because he has, I would say, a meteoric rise, making the, making the move to Salzburg, but then becoming a player that when you look at that provisional roster, for example, I, I have a hard time finding another player that has risen so quickly in my estimations and maybe in Berhalter's estimations. I can't speak for him. I'll speak for myself. Um, but that has also sort of not just risen up the rankings, but also will kind of keep that spot. So maybe there's Joe Acchini or maybe there's even Conrad De La Fuente or somebody like that. But I don't know if they are as locked into the final squad in my mind as Brendan Aronson is. And I think that certainly uh, starts with his work with the union, but with everything he's done with Salzburg, I just every single weekend, there's another moment of like, oh, wow, I didn't know he could do that. Oh, wow, he did that again. Oh, wow, he did that again. Like you can just see the development and these big highlight moments, but also the consistency behind them that you need from a player to be able to perform reliably. And looking through the U.S. Men's National Team color glasses for just another second here, sure. the reason why Aronson excites me so much in that realm is because he's so versatile. And he has a skill set that fits really well within what Berhalter is trying to do. He can go downhill, he can beat you out wide, or he can tuck inside. His skill set is so fluid, and we're seeing that with Salzburg when he's playing as that left attacking midfielder, left midfielder hybrid spot. He can do all sorts of different things. And and to be clear, I think he's better as a winger. I think he's better out wide. He's good on the dribble. He's got that speed to get in behind. He's not as effective in central spaces, in my opinion, but he can do both of those things. So if you're Greg Berhalter looking to fill out a 23-man roster, there's there's really no reason not to bring a guy like Brendan Aronson into your top 23 because he can give you depth on the left. He can give you depth on the right. We've seen him play both of those winger spots for the U.S. already. I think we saw that back in March. Or he can play left center mid or right center mid. He can do so many different things. I think he's probably back up, backing up Christian Pulisic yeah. at left wing on the depth chart if you had to actually write him down in one spot. But he, he can cover for multiple players and allow you to bring an extra striker or an extra winger or, or just add in another player as almost a bonus because he can do so many different jobs. 
I hadn't really thought about it like that, but but you're totally right because I'm hesitant to lose central midfield depth uh, like the way I think initially maybe a couple of years ago when I was drawing up my ideal starting 11, it was always going to be Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic as the number 10. And I think it absolutely mm-hmm. makes sense to have Pulisic out wide. And then in my mind, it was like, okay, well, that's fine because Brendan Anson can just come in and be the 10. But I think you're right that he probably does make sense to maybe have as a wide option as a substitute or as just a depth option there. But then also, yeah, you can play him as a 10 if you need to. You could maybe even play him as a number eight if you're going with like the two hybrid eight system. Uh, yeah, yeah, on the right, maybe up top. Let's put him everywhere. Let's put him at center back and see what happens. <laughs> Brendan Aronson can do a lot of things very well. And in this game, for Arby Salzburg to circle back around to that, he did do a lot of things very well. I, I didn't send this clip to you, Taylor, before we talk about the goals, but there's this moment in the 21st minute when Salzburg are trying to play down that left side into Brendan Aronson out wide. And Aronson slips and the pass is a little overhit. Maybe it's the fault of Aronson. Maybe it's the fault of the passer or both. It doesn't really matter. But Aronson, as soon as he slips, gets back up, goes, presses the living daylights out of the opposing right back, gets tight, doesn't get turned, doesn't over pursue like we see a lot of players, not just young Americans doing, but he doesn't, he doesn't allow his momentum to get ahead of him. He stays tight, stays on his feet, doesn't get turned, battles for the ball and wins it. He just is this defensive workhorse and he's so flashy on the ball at times. He's willing to try things. He's creative, but he, he also does things defensively that I think is a big reason why he is a regular for Jesse Marsh, a big reason why he's a regular for one of the bigger clubs in the Red Bull system. He does so much of that work defensively, which then allows his team to have more opportunities to attack and then Aronson to score more goals and and get more chances and create more chances for other people. The first goal in this game, Taylor, I sent it to you. It's on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Everybody can go out and watch it. It's not hard. Salzburg are attacking down their left side in the 20th minute through their left back, Ulmer. Aronson's tucked inside into that half space. And then he makes this run between two opposing defenders. He gets in between them, like like a good run often gets you. And he makes this run in behind the back line, gets into the box, and gets on the end of this lovely little slip pass from Berisha and finishes with his left foot in the box. It's a great run. It's great recognition of space. He stays patient. He has to halt that run for a split second to stay on side and then still gets in behind and on the end of that pass. It's a great sequence and a great move from Aronson off the ball that then is ultimately rewarded with that through ball and then the goal, Taylor. It's one of my sort of favorite goal-scoring runs. Obviously, the slalom through the defense and then scoring is is lovely. But the sort of running and then cutting like a hard angle and running along the line to make sure that you stay on side and adjusting as you do, it's it's. It looks so strange sometimes and it seems so easy, but it's not because you have to then be tracking where you are, where the defenders are adjusting and where they're moving, and then also where your teammate is when that ball is being played. And to have that awareness, but then be able to sort of, it's not even an improvisation, the goal he scores. It's just a good goal. It's just a well, well struck, like cleverly lifted Sort of chipped, sort of just dinked pass into the side netting. Uh, I, I thought it was it was a combination of really clever running and then really clever finishing as well. All of it being made to look so simple. And that is, I think, the hallmark of a very talented player is when they can execute these difficult things in such simplistic ways that it looks like it's no big deal, even if it definitely is. And that first goal was an excellent example of that. The second goal, which is just a a laser (laughs) of a hit, also pretty good technical ability, maybe less refined in all of the movements, but still pretty important nonetheless. 
It's the second goal comes in the 78th minute. So it's later on in this game. It's the aftermath of a Salzburg free kick. The ball bounces in the box a little bit and then comes to Aronson a couple yards outside the top of the box. And Aronson just hits it first time with his right foot and puts it in the bottom left side of that netting right in that pocket beats the goalkeeper. I watched this goal a bunch of times to try and see if it was deflected because it goes through a mess of bodies and ends up so perfect in that, in that little pocket of the goal. And I, I thought, man, this, this can't have gone through cleanly. I think it did though. I think it actually did make it through that mess of bodies and into that little pocket. And it's it's a lovely strike. Aronson has that quality. And he's not going to score this goal super often. It's a low XG shot. But, I mean, he has he has quality on the ball. That's very clear to see. You combine that with his willingness to move off the ball. And I think he's learning that more, especially now that he's moved from the Union over to Salzburg. You combine those things with his mobility defensively, his willingness to go and press and press again and press again. He really looks like a threat right now for Salzburg, one of their main attacking threats. And he looks primed to be a big-time player for the U.S. in in June. I would expect the end of May, early June, and then again in September. I, I think he's going to do big things for the U.S., not just over the fall, but down the line as well. Speaking for myself, when there's a player like this who I, I tend to watch, and like I'm not trying to exaggerate here. It's just when we do watch him, when I do either if I'm the one covering what he did for for uh, Americans Abroad Review or when I'm talking to you about him, there just are so many things in every single game that I really enjoy. And yeah. sure, some of that is playing for the best team in Austria in the Austrian league. Like maybe it doesn't look as good if he's playing uh, in a more difficult league or for a more competitive team. Uh, but I, I wonder for you, Joe, because I think I'm definitely seeing it every week is like, what did he do this week? And when you're approaching it that way, there's definitely going to be some like positive bias to it. So you talked about his off-the-ball movement and how that's improved but needs to continue to improve. Are there other things that you think could be holding him back if there's a bigger club coming in, looking at him, scouting him, thinking, where does he fit into our team? What would be, in your mind, maybe some of the drawbacks? Or is it sort of difficult to say at this point? I think he can continue to work on his movement off the ball in central areas. With the union he oftentimes would kind of hide in the shadow behind opposing defenders and he he would move, but he wouldn't move either at the right time or into the right spaces and he'd end up just being blocked out of plays because of that poorly timed or, or you know just wrong movement. I think he is getting better at that. There were a couple of times where he got in between the lines in the more central areas in this game and I know that's happened other times this season for Salzburg, but that can continue to improve, especially if clubs are going to use him in, in that central midfield role and I, I don't know that's that that's where he's best, but that is a possibility for his career. So that's, that's one thing. And I think maybe just continuing to improve decision making, right? We talk about how he's willing to do things on the ball that not a lot of other players are willing to do, certainly in the American pool at least. But I think there is also a call to be measured and find the right moments to do some of those things. And I don't know that Aronson's super egregious with his risk taking or any of that stuff. But I think him continuing to realize when the right time to play that flick is versus maybe when the better time to recycle possession is. I think that could be improved. But to be honest, Taylor, I'm kind of grasping at straws here. Those are such fine things that, again, Aronson is kind of doing good stuff right now. But that's, I mean, that makes sense, but is also probably a realistic summary of where he is. When you're playing for the system that RB have established or Red Bull have established, it is about little tiny things making that next bit of difference. Because once you've come in, you fit into the system, you're starting, you kind of understand what's being asked of you and you understand those expectations. 
it does then become like now you've got to move to that next level. And as you go, the kind of nuances get more important. It's like any issue. Like once you kind of delve into it, you're always going to find uh, disagreement at some point. Everybody might be able to agree that Josie Altador shouldn't be on the current U.S. roster. But then when you look at the forwards, should it be Josh Sargent? Well, let's delve deeper into what the problems with Josh Sargent are. And though most people might say he's the consensus starting striker right now, you're still going to get a ton of disagreement about that player because the more detailed you look at them, the more the nuances stand out and become an issue. And here, I think that's probably where Brendan Aronson is. He's a very good player, but to make that jump, to be at that next level, it absolutely requires the knowledge of when do I hold this ball up and wait for my teammates to kind of move into positions where they can support and we can build from there versus when should I go with a flick over the top to myself and try to make something happen from nothing. And I think it's definitely about if you try that one or two times too often in a game, eventually that starts to add up and become a source of frustration. At least that would be my understanding of things. So I think that's a pretty fair read on where Brandon Aronson is and where he needs to go from here. Anything else about our our, our youngster before we move on to our next player? I just want to say I'm really looking forward to sometime next year or maybe... Yeah, yeah, next year. 2022 is next year. Man, time flies. Mm-hmm. When Jesse Marsh, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, and Caden Clark start a podcast in Leipzig, <laughs> I think that's going to be uh, must-listen podcasting, and I'm here for it. We really do need to come up with our new Full America like Leipzig <laughs> sort of nickname, if that does happen. Because you're right, we could have more than a few Americans uh, playing in Leipzig. So I will leave that to clever listeners uh, to send us their suggestions for what that should be. We'll be back with more uh, Americans who did well over the weekend. We can't call it Americans Abroad anymore, but American Review uh, in just a second. First, a word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe Lowry, we are back. We've talked provisional rosters. We've talked Brendan Aronson. Five more players to be discussed. Uh, It comes to me, I'm going to take us to Christian Pulisic land because uh, the game against Manchester City in which he played, I believe, the entirety. City uh, eventually, despite going up 1-0, Sergio Aguero misses the penalty. Chelsea find their way back and end up winning 2-1. Pulisic heavily involved in lots of different moments, some of them good, I would argue some of them bad. But I suppose we should just start with the idea that Christian Pulisic in this sort of crunch match against the team that will win the Premier League this season, it is a a prelude to the Champions League final. I take it as a positive sign that he started this game, even if it means he doesn't start in the Champions League final. I think we saw Thomas Tuchel trying some things and seeing what works and what doesn't and fine-tuning. And my assumption would be that we will see Christian Pulisic either start that Champions League final or at the very least get some minutes. I think we will have an American on the field at some point in that game. And I am 
okay with that, I think, because it shows how he has progressed this season. He hasn't become an out-and-out starter for every single game. He isn't their most important player. But that would be a pretty big feat given the talent that they've spent and the talent that was already there, or the talent they spent on and then the talent that was already there. So I am okay with that. Joe, are you okay with that being his role to close out the season as sort of a sometimes starter, sometimes substitute, but overall a player that is still very much in his coach's estimations? I'm totally okay with that. Okay. If if Thomas Tuchel starts him in the Champions League final, I will be ridiculously excited because that is an incredible moment. And if he doesn't and Christian Pulisic comes off the bench in the 65th minute, that's also totally fine, right? It won't be yeah. as exciting in the moment when that lineup drops, but it still shows it, – it, rather, it doesn't change the fact – that Thomas Tuchel values what Christian Pulisic brings and will use him in an important role in that game, or at least we would expect that to happen based off of what's been happening recently. Christian Pulisic's an impact player right now, and he's bringing a lot of value to Chelsea. And I think, you know, from a U.S. men's national team perspective, it's honestly not the worst thing for him not to be a regular starter for Chelsea. It keeps his knees healthy. It keeps the rest of him healthy, keeps his muscles fresh, and allows him to be able to, at least theoretically, to be a bigger part of Berhalter's plans for the summer and then the fall. So it really is a a win-win situation no matter what. That's a really interesting point and one that I had not considered because, but I'm happy you brought it up because it connects to a thing that I've been sort of trying to figure out how to approach when it comes to Pulisic, which is the physicality of the Premier League and how he deals with it. Because in this game, I saw him, I I think I sent you one clip. There's a moment when Reese James... Uh, does a great amount of individual effort to get down the touchline, to get into the box uh, for Man City. He makes Man City's defense collapse. He cuts it back. He finds Pulisic. Pulisic, I think, trying to do the thing he does later in the game where uh, Nathan Ake is defending him and he kind of takes a touch and then gets a shot off. I think he tries to do that, but the touch is really sloppy and he's just immediately dispossessed by Rodri when he tries to win the ball back. He then does not have the physical strength to really put in that much of a challenge. And that moment stood out to me as he just gets knocked off the ball really easily. And then though he hassles and does good defensive work, he can't win the ball back himself. And there are plenty of other moments in this game where he went down and I thought maybe the foul would be given. Referee waves play on and the replays show there's not much to it. So him getting knocked around so much had me thinking maybe that's a thing that he still needs to work on. Maybe he needs to hit the weight room a little bit. But then there are also moments, like I think in the 90th minute, he's on a break. He gets around Gabriel Jesus, who just absolutely takes him out and does so about as strongly as you can. Like That, that should have been an orange card, is I guess what I'm trying to say. That like It's a bad tackle by Gabriel Jesus, and it takes out Pulisic. It hits him in the knee. He's down for a while. He doesn't end up requiring treatment, but you can tell he's in pain. And that then balances it for me of like there are times when he is getting knocked around that I think he's looking for the foul but then there are times that he is absolutely just getting crushed because of the way he plays and his style of play for Chelsea and I think you're totally right that that's probably not sustainable starting every single game for them so maybe it is a rotational get some minutes here but hopefully that does keep him fresh for this summer I like where you're at Joe I like your perspective on this one well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And Christian Pulisic's also been fouled about 800 times yeah. over the last couple of weeks, especially yeah. in the Champions League. And I think that's part of his game. His game is all about dribbling. It's all about being aggressive and playing forward quickly, quick touch, pass, then combine, or, or just turn and dribble and face and go. That's Christian Pulisic's game. And just because of how he plays, it, it does result in a lot of players chasing him or, or trying to body him off the ball. And sometimes he's going to draw a foul because he'll be at the right angle and he'll be ahead of someone trying to chase him down. Other times he's going to go toe-to-toe with Rodri and he's just straight up not going to win that battle seven times out of ten. 
And I think you almost have to take the good with the bad in this case and just pray for his legs along the way. <laughs> yes, yes. I also think that because he's going to be involved in the Champions League final, we hope to some extent, then he'll be uh, in these four games, the two Nations League, the two friendlies. He won't be at the Gold Cup. And my my strong hope is that that means we get a fully rested Christian Pulisic for the start of Chelsea's preseason. And yeah, I'm jumping straight to next season because... I think to some extent this season has just been a strange one. We've had the coaching change at Chelsea. We've had Pulisic playing, but then not playing, but correcting Thomas Tuchel's pronunciation and then not playing again, but then finally playing. And and all of this says to me that he needs a full preseason and just that final understanding of the final little touches, the little nuances to really get what Thomas Tuchel is asking. I don't think he's alone in that. I think Timo Werner is another great example of that, of a player who needs that extra bit of training as a unit where he's getting reps both in friendlies but in training and I think Chelsea they're Chelsea they're gonna spend money this summer but I think they have so many strong foundational blocks there that a a good preseason I think solves not even that they've had major issues but just some of the problems because going back to this game and I think kind of bridging the gap of what we've already talked about I think Pulisic when Chelsea are counterattacking and when there's opportunities for improvisation and to try stuff, I think that's when he looks the best. And that's where Chelsea's equalizer, it's one off of Rodri being dispossessed. It's a swift counterattack. It's lots of quick passing. It's Christian Pulisic leaving the ball at one moment, but then receiving it, turning and playing a kind of reverse like diagonal uh, into the channel for the ball to be to be delivered that leads to the goal. And he's he's involved and he's creating and you can see him sort of solving problems and opening up opportunities on the fly. But when he does then come up against a more compact defense and a talented compact defense, even if it's a Man City B team of sorts, I think that's where you see him trying low percentage things and shots from distance that don't hit the frame. And I think... A preseason where there's more time to practice what Thomas Tuchel wants them to do when they're coming up against a team that have nine or ten players behind the ball. Uh, I think that will help him further solidify his role in that Chelsea team. But for now, I think we'll continue to see him be used as a sort of transitional counterattacking strength who then tries to find Timo Werner on occasion and either maybe it's just ahead of Timo Werner or Werner's offside. I think there's still just some wrinkles to be worked out in that Chelsea attack and when if and when that happens I think they look that much stronger and are that much more competitive as a result and I don't know if this will ever happen but if there is a a little bit more a little bit higher of a ceiling that Christian Pulisic can reach I think he'll cover that ground between where he is now and that ceiling by becoming more dangerous against a low block Mm -hmm. I, I think his his strength, as you're saying, Taylor, is out in space. It's out on the break. And that's that's pretty clear to see when you watch him. He's so fast. He's so slippery. He'll draw a foul or he'll just get in the box and, and break you in that opportunity. But again, all those things tend to happen in transition. If Christian Pulisic can become a bigger danger when when Chelsea's playing or, or even the U.S. men's national team is playing a low 4-4-2 block or a low 5-4-1 block, something that's very compact and congested and compressed – if Christian Pulisic can become more comfortable in those tight spots and mm-hmm. become maybe a better passer of the ball and break lines a little bit more, that's only going to help his game. And, and like you're saying, Taylor, looking ahead to next year, a full preseason under Thomas Tuchel could be a good step towards him reaching that next skill set. And again, yeah. I don't know if that ever happens. It doesn't need to happen, but it maybe is something to think about. I, and I think I agree. And I think the reason why I'm optimistic at Will is just because you can see – 
little moments when he goes, he wants to pass the ball in behind the defense, but Timo Werner has like checked his run and then he's going and now that ball isn't on. Or sometimes Werner doesn't check the run when Pulisic thinks he will. And it's not just a Timo Werner issue. Sometimes it happens when Kai Havertz is in there. Sometimes it's uh, him combining or not combining with Mason Mount. But either way, I think it's just those little half-second, quarter-second decisions, delays, what have you, that make the difference between a shot that goes wide or a shot that ends up in a corner or a goal kick versus a pass that is uh, tapped in at the far post. And I think as we see Chelsea get a little bit tighter in some of those attacking sequences, not to say that they haven't been tight, just that I think, as we said with uh, Aronson, things can always be improved. I think Chelsea look that much stronger as a result. So Pulisic, I think my... My thing I would like to see is him just be a little bit uh, physically tougher, but then also maybe just continue to work on those kind of low block decisions that he's making. So those are my two takeaways for Christian Pulisic. I've talked plenty about him. Joe, where should we go next? Let's head over to Rome, shall we, and talk about right. Brian Reynolds, who started and played 59 minutes in Roma's 5 nothing win over Crotone on Sunday. Taylor, he started in a spot that I don't think he's ever started in or at, I don't know what the proper phrasing is. Hmm. I don't think he's ever played this spot in his pro career, and I could be wrong about that, but he started as a left back for Roma. And and with Dallas, with Luigi Gonzalez, he was a right back filling in for Reggie Cannon. I know he was more of an attacking player coming up to the youth academy, but whether you're looking at his academy days or his pro days, I don't think he's had a lot of time, if any, at that spot. And to be honest, Taylor, especially after the last time that we talked about Brian Reynolds, I think that was after his first ever start for Roma against Bologna a few weeks ago, or a month and change ago, whatever it was. I thought he looked pretty good. I- I'd seen some stuff about him on Twitter that he didn't have the best game. So I-, I wanted to dig in and he wasn't flawless, sure. But the fact that he was getting a start admittedly because Roma have a couple of, of injuries at their left back spot right now, or at least that it seems to me that that's why he played there. I thought generally he looked competent at that spot, and I don't mean that as, you know, a a knock. I mean that more as high praise. (laughs) All right. So what do you mean that you have to distinguish between I don't mean it as a knock, I mean it as praise. Why is there that line between the two? Like, what, What held you back from saying, like, nope, this was just a great performance overall? Well, he's still he's still raw defensively. And mm. in this game, we saw some good moments from him defensively. In the third minute, he really stepped high up the field to press Croatone's right wing back. And he closed him down and won the ball. Then he tries to combine a little bit. It doesn't come off. But then he presses again. And that Croatone defender plays the ball out of bounds for a Roma throw in. That moment, I don't think we saw a lot of that measured, controlled pressure, but still you know, maintaining aggression. From Brian Reynolds the last time we talked about him, I don't think we've seen a lot of that in his career so far. But then Taylor, just a minute later, it's a it's a whiff on a tackle, on a pretty yes, important is. tackle. Croatoni are attacking down the middle of the field on the brick. Onus drives the ball forward for them. And Reynolds steps in like he's going to win the ball. And then he just totally whiffs. And Ibanez has to clean things up in the back. So it, it is still a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde for Reynolds defensively right now. But I will say, that's progress. At least in my eyes, that's progress from the Dallas days now to his first couple starts at Roma. I think he started two or three times before this game. Now to to another appearance in their lineup, he's not a flawless player, and he's still a ways away from that. But he is putting in more solid defensive performances, and that for me is why you reach more of a competent level rather than just like a, a wow, he was phenomenal kind of level. If people haven't seen this 1v1 attempt, and I'm stressing the attempt aspect <laughs> of things, it reminds me of if people play FIFA where you like go for the hard tackle, the hard standing tackle, 
and the like the opponent just bypasses you easily and now you're 20 yards out of the play like he definitely seems caught between two worlds and that indecision doesn't really leave him as he goes to make that challenge and that can easily be a yellow card because he dives in and just takes the player out or it can be as it was in this case easily sidestepped and now he's out of position is that do you have ideas about how that could be prevented in the future is it better positioning from him is it more rapid decision making is it a team problem like what did you see either in this moment or in the game as a whole to tell you what he needs to do what the next steps need to be for him so that he is more of a lockdown defender in those situations I don't think it's a team problem I think these issues do certainly fall squarely on Brian Reynolds man that's a tough tough mm-hmm. question to answer because I think my biggest my biggest Reynolds takeaway right now is that he still looks a little bit awkward. He still looks like a player mm-hmm. who's growing Agreed. into his yeah. frame. And and I think the fix for that, Taylor, honestly, is, sure, continuing to develop your decision-making and, and going back through the film and seeing, should I have stepped here? Was my body shape a little bit off in this moment? But I think the biggest fix is just time and allowing him to grow into his his kind of lanky build. At that point, he'll become a little bit more comfortable. He's a really unnatural shape. For a fullback. And that sounds like a weird thing to say, but he looks more like a winger. And I can kind of understand why Dallas would have been using him at that spot or even as a number nine or or a second forward in their academy because he's tall and lanky and you just don't see a lot of tall and lanky fullbacks. Fullbacks tend to be a little bit more compact. And and I think that's oftentimes because when you're a little bit stockier and, and maybe that's not the right term, but when you're a little shorter, you don't have as much difficulty oftentimes controlling your momentum. And Brian Reynolds has those issues right now. I'm optimistic that that will change. And even if it doesn't, he still does bring value in other areas. It's just a matter of, well, how much does his lack of defensive ability impact his ceiling? But either way, it's too early to be having that discussion right now, I think. Yeah, then then I'll take it this way. What I would like to see, because you're right that there was this kind of hesitation. There was a little bit of awkwardness to it. And I think part of that, or maybe a large percentage of that, is him still needing to grow, still needing to develop and figure some things out. I also think maybe there's a little bit of, of him being of two minds in that moment. One of those mm-hmm. is, I should be tracking my player. I don't want to mess things up too bad. But the other is, I want to make a play on this ball and try to make something happen. And I think he is maybe still thinking about what he needs to be doing as he tries to make a play and is easily bypassed because of that. I also think there's an element of, I don't want to make a mistake here. And maybe in his mind fouling at that moment is a mistake it's admitting oh i shouldn't have stepped so i've got to take the player out but to some extent i think that's a natural part of the game is that if you're trying to stop a transition you have a player who you know you're letting get in behind if you then step to the player on the ball you cannot let that player on the ball get away from you you cannot let them play that ball in behind if the ball goes, they can't go, which means you've got to commit that foul and you've got to draw that yellow. So going forward, what I'm actually going to be looking for and hoping for is when we see Brian Reynolds get his first yellow for a professional foul, because I want to see him know in that moment, like, yep, it's what I got to do. I got to make that sacrifice. And I understand it. It's always uncomfortable to try to have to make that play, knowing that there's a card coming or that you could easily get a card and could easily get yelled at by your coach. But if it's the difference between getting yelled at for getting a card and getting yelled at for giving it up a very easy attacking opportunity, I'll take the card every time. That's such a good point, Taylor. It reminds me of the U.S.'s friendly against Jamaica in March. And I don't remember, I don't remember a lot of the details about that game at this mm-hmm. point, but I do remember on Jamaica's goal. I think they only scored one in that game. I'm kind of showing my lack yeah, of memory at this point. Fine. But on Jamaica's goal, it came off of a U.S. corner kick. 
And Jamaica beat a couple players and then just went the length of the field and scored at the other end. And nowhere in that process did a U.S. player step in and commit that tactical foul. It's, it is a tactical foul. It's a decision that has a strategic component behind it. And I think the reason why we don't see U.S. players in that moment commit that foul is because they don't have the experience or they don't have the, the, the opportunity in the past. They haven't had the reps to, to actually understand what needs to happen in that moment. It's a young group. It's a young pool. And that certainly extends to Brian Reynolds as well. Learning and having these mistakes happen and then realizing, wow, I, I do need to take a yellow there or I do need to take a, a pretty hard foul there. And then maybe I'm a little bit closer to a yellow card the next time. You have to commit those fouls. And I think Reynolds is just an example, one example of how this pool is still learning and, and developing and understanding when certain things like that, that are a little bit more dubious, but still strategic when those things need to happen. All right, we are halfway through our Americans Who Did Stuff weekend review. I'm going to find a more <laughs> succinct title for it at some point. Uh, maybe during the break, uh, we'll be back to do our final three players in just a moment. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, so we have, I think, one European-American uh, still left to be discussed. Then we've got some MLS content at the end. But, uh, Joe, I'm going to take us to Barcelona to talk about Serginho Dest, if that is okay oh, yeah. with you. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Dest played for Barcelona against Atleti, Atletico Madrid, in their nil-nil draw that keeps the La Liga title race wide open. Uh, could have been a bit more closed, uh, but Barcelona not able to get a result. But I don't say that that's the fault of Serginho Dest because I think he did a lot of stuff in this game. And for me, a lot of stuff that maybe we haven't seen as much from him in the past because 
Dest seems so much more involved in the attack, so much more willing to take people on. And I think part of that is him being given the individual backing by Ronald Koeman, who was not on the sideline, but was, as I talked about on the Weekend Review, still coaching a little bit uh, from the stands. Uh, but just seeing him getting a ball and beating a defender or trying to take people on or dribbling uh, dribbling inside to then open up space for other Barcelona teammates, it's, it's a thing we've wanted to see from him and finally are getting some chances to see. In the past, I saw him getting the ball and then looking for the safe cutback, looking for the safe outlet pass, but not being willing to take people on, which then collapses the defense and opens up uh, more opportunities elsewhere. And I think we saw a lot of that in this game. I think we also saw from a system standpoint, Lionel Messi constantly drifting out wide to the right and then Dest at times almost replacing him and being part of a front two with Antoine Griezmann. And I think it's the system allowing him to have more license to attack, but then Dest feeling more comfortable in trying to take people on, in going at people, drawing fouls, creating opportunities. Uh, it was one of my favorite performances from him, despite there being no goals and no major moments uh, to talk about from his performance. Man, stop me if you've heard this before, but Serginho Dest is so good, yep. Taylor. He's so good. Yeah, he and I know people have said that a thousand times. I get that. But watching the clips that you sent me from this game and watching him play, he just has so much skill on the ball. I, I genuinely believe that any team, okay, I genuinely believe that 99% of teams <laughs> would be better off using Serginho Dest as one of their attacking, their main attacking components. And that includes Barcelona. I, I honestly believe that. And, and that certainly extends to the U.S. men's national team. Having someone, whether it's on the right side or the left side, who can get the ball, be calm under pressure, then play his way out of that pressure, move the ball forward, take someone on and create something. And, and I do think that's something that he can improve on, his ability to, to actually create a meaningful end product mm-hmm. in the final third. But even having someone who can advance you that far and who can dance on an opposing left wing back if he's up high on the right wing and break into the box and then maybe it's a simple layoff to let one of the more established final playmakers do something near the box. But Serginho Dest is such an asset in possession and he's even becoming more of an asset without the ball. But even just looking at what he does when his team is in possession, he is a nightmare to defend against. And I think teams like Barcelona, as big of a team as they are historically, are better off for having him and actually playing through him at times. Yeah, you'll get no arguments from me. And I think it's probably then about finding the balance because we know Jordi Alba on the opposite side wants to be involved in the attack, will readily be involved in the attack and often either assists or scores goals himself. Um, And I think a big part of that is usually because he's linking up with Lionel Messi on that left-hand side. And that's what we saw Dest doing in this game with Messi on the right. So if that continues to be an opportunity, if that continues to be a thing, then I'm I'm good with it. But if we see Messi back on the left side combining with Jordi Alba, and that that means that Dest is doing a more defensive sort of uh, safer job, I'm also okay with that because it means he's playing as part of the system that Ronald Koeman is asking him to play. I think you're absolutely right, though, Joe, that if we see Messi on that right-hand side and there being sort of positional changing and and Dest being given that license to take on, the next step is, okay, now you're willing to take people on, now you will go at people on occasion, but what happens then? How often can you turn that from... Every three times he gets a dangerous cross in to every time he gets a dangerous cross in or every four times he tries to take somebody on, he gets around them twice. Like, how do you increase those numbers to make it a more 
regular feature of his game, a regular feature of the Barcelona attack, because then it becomes the norm as opposed to an outlier when they need it. I think a lot of that and many of the answers to that are rooted in who the manager is next season. We also talked about this on the weekend review, and I was of the mind that, like, wow, Ronald Koeman's going to be there. I was kind of confused as to why Ryan was even asking that question, because it felt to me like they were figuring things out. They had some building blocks. They had had the formation change, and now they're moving in a certain direction. But then you're getting all these reports of like, oh, they're not happy about this. Jean Laporte doesn't understand why Pouge isn't playing every single game. And it's all the familiar symptoms of building the case in the media, in public, for why the manager needs to be sacked at the end of the season. And I'm not saying that Ronald Koeman is the best manager for Barcelona right now. I think he's been a fine manager for them. I think he's been a good manager for giving Sergio Dest opportunities and confidence. And from an American, non-Barcelona fan perspective... That's what I care about. So I hope they stick with Ronald Koeman if it means Serginho Dest gets, similar to Pulisic, a full preseason and more familiarity and more backing. And then we see him come out and taking people on and assisting goals all over the place. If there is that managerial change and they go to a back four, I then wonder what that means for Dest having played an entire season at wingback or most of a season at wingback. How does he then adjust? So maybe keeping an eye on the Barcelona managerial situation is a thing to do, although I think lots of people will be doing that anyway. But then (laughs) seeing how Dest is able to add more end product to his game. Those are the two things that I would uh, encourage people to keep an eye on when it comes to Serginho Dest at Barcelona. It can't be easy to get Sergio Dest to stop doing stepovers and no. training and start either crossing the ball or, or working on his cutbacks. But yeah. if if Ronald Koeman or whoever the next manager is for Barcelona can do that, then I will be more than happy with whoever is coaching that team going forward. All right. I'm, I'm with you on that. So that's all I had about Dest, which I think wraps us up for Europe. But we've got some MLS players to talk about. Joe, should we talk about the one, the only Paxson Pomacall? Oh, please. I've been waiting to talk about Paxton Pomichol. I haven't talked about him on MLS Assist, or I haven't written about him or anything this season. So this this week was kind of my first excuse to dive into how he's been playing for Dallas. And my dive was rewarded. I guess I found gold at the bottom of the pool, or I don't I don't know where I'm diving. Maybe it's in the ocean. It doesn't matter. Either way, I dove down and watched Paxton Pomichol footage. He came off the bench against the Houston Dynamo in Dallas's 1-1 draw and played 33 minutes in that game on Saturday. He came on for Freddy Vargas in the 57th minute. He played some left wing and then after another sub from Luchi Gonzalez tucked inside more. But Taylor, kind of where I want to start with Pomico is not necessarily with what he's doing on the field, but more so why he hasn't been on the field yeah, more. Because Pomico, I don't know, I don't know how clearly you remember this, Taylor. I remember bits and pieces, but that U20 World Cup game against France in 2019 Mm -hmm. would that have been I think it was 2019 where the U.S. win that game in extra time arguably the best player and maybe this isn't even arguable one of the best players if not the best player on that field for the U.S. men's national team the U-20s was Paxton Pomichol his career was was skyrocketing his trajectory was skyrocketing and so what gives what's why isn't he playing more for Dallas why isn't he starting he's come off the bench all four times for Dallas this year He's dealt with injuries, and he's continuing to deal with injuries. He had a couple setbacks in preseason with scar tissue issues, from what I've read. He had groin surgery last season, had a couple different different muscle injuries over the last couple of years, knee surgeries. So kind of where I wanted to start was just to, to give that background and say Luchi Gonzalez is being understandably careful with his best prospect, even though Pomichol's 21, I'm not sure he's a prospect at this point, but one of his most talented players, regardless of age or nationality, Pomichol kind of does need to be handled with kid gloves just because of that injury history that he has. And the in- injury history 
is especially sad just because, as you've already talked about, Joe, like where he was, both with that U20 team, he's with uh, the MLS All-Stars in Orlando. Uh, I will forever remember Oh, man, I forgot about that. he uh, is not especially tall, is how I'll phrase that. <laughs> uh, but seeing him around other players, like Actor Herrera, who is uh, the opponent there was Atletico Madrid. Uh, he was in the MLS All-Stars locker room talking to some of his Mexico uh, teammates. That dude is gigantic and also very skinny, but also very muscular. And then Paxton Pomacall <laughs> walked by and there was a sizable difference. So I can't say the injury issues are that surprising when you think of it from that perspective. But it is still a player that felt destined to have already made that move to Europe, if that's what he wants to do, to already be sort of doing the Brendan Aronson thing of thriving and developing and adding that next level to his game. So I'm happy to hear him back on the field. How did he look back on the field, Joe? I thought for the first 10, 15 minutes of his his performance, and a lot of that was out on the left, where I don't think he's best suited. I think he is much better inside. I think when he was playing out wide, he was okay. He did some good work defensively, didn't get on the ball a whole lot. As Dallas are pushing for that that game winner, or also trying not to give up a game winner from the Dynamo, he didn't he didn't get involved a ton. But then once he's shifted inside by Lucha Gonzalez, then he starts to look like himself. And this has happened in a couple of his his cameos off the bench this season against the Portland Timbers. He he, I think he started in a central spot from the moment he entered the field in that game off the bench, and he started driving the game forward. And that's Paxton Pomichol's game when his team is in possession. He loves to drive the game forward, and he's good at it, Taylor. In the 78th minute, one of the clips I sent you, it's Andres Ricarte playing the ball back to Paxton Pomichol, who's in the center circle for FC Dallas with his team in possession. Pomichol then dribbles forward, draws two Dynamo defenders in, or two Dynamo opponents in, and breaks lines into Ryan Hollingshead, who then plays a beautiful ball into the box. And it's a great ball from Hollingshead, but it's also a really important forward pass between the lines from Paxton Pomichol. To be fair, he has tons of space to actually drive forward. He has time to look up, think about what he's going to do, and then do it. But that happens in MLS. Not all the time, but it happens more in MLS certainly than it does in the better leagues in Europe. So if you're playing an MLS, Taylor, you might as well do something with that space. Yep. And Paxton Pomichol is uniquely equipped to do productive things with space and drive forward and play through balls. And and man, he's such a talented player when his team is in possession. And then, again, out of possession as well. He, he's a borderline complete central midfielder. And I really am hoping he stays healthy for the rest of this year and then maybe even makes that move in the summer. And how much of that ability to play that ball forward to find those options, that space, those little gaps that open up, how much of that is his individual ability and vision, do you think? Ability and vision, excuse me, uh, versus how much of that is the system putting him in a position where, due to positional player, what have you, he's receiving a ball turning and this player makes a run, this player makes a run, so now that space is opened up. How much of it is him sort of being given those keys because of the system versus him, I guess, like hot wiring the car to make something happen? To extend the car yes. analogy for whatever reason. <laughs> I think the answer is yes. Okay. To, to, it's, it's both, right? Pomichol is capable of making something out of nothing, and he kind of does that later on in the game. In the 84th minute, he gets the ball, has a defender on his back, another one comes over. His first touch as he gets on the ball is a little bobbly, but he is able to turn out of that pressure and then slip fellow American Dante Seeley down the line to theoretically get Dallas out on the break. Now, Seeley has a bad first touch and Dallas don't break. But it's that type of moment. Pomichol can produce a little something out of nothing. 
But then you have the moment like I described uh, just a minute ago where he is working within this possession structure. Ryan Hollingshead is a, a left back. He's a right footed left back who's tucked all the way inside into the half space. Pomichol slips a ball into him, who then Ryan Hollingshead at that point then slips a, a winger into the box. So it is very fluid for Dallas. And they're not the finished product under Lucha Gonzalez. They haven't been what I hoped they would be. And I think what, what certainly Dallas fans hoped they would be with the ball. They haven't been quite as lethal as Gonzalez certainly would want them to be. But there is a system there designed to put players like Pomichol who have offensive talent. It's designed to put players like that into good spots. And Pomichol has the skill to execute in those spots. So goals and assists are like highlight real moments aside, Joe, uh, as we move forward, when we talk about Pomacall again, what sort of are the things that you're going to be looking for that maybe next time you can say like, oh, I wanted to see this and he's done it. What are the things that you want to see him develop that you want to see him work on that you want to see more consistently uh, feature in his game? I mean, you can always answer that question with a softer first touch, continuing to improve driving the ball forward. I think he is dangerous driving forward with the ball at his feet in central midfield. But this is one of the best prospects, one of the best talented, one of the most talented players in the entire pool. And I think if he'd made that move to Europe right now, more people would see that because we'd all be watching him more regularly than we do right now. So, Taylor, my answer to your question is is just I want to see him. I want to see him on the field and not on the injury list for FC Dallas. I think if he's playing, he's going to be productive. He's going to be valuable to his team. And he's probably not going to be with Dallas for a whole lot longer. All right. That, I think that's a fair a fair request. It's just like, let's see him some more. I did want to get a clarification on one thing. When you say a softer first touch, does that mean he has a bad first touch or you see it pop up no. on occasion? Or is it just sort of, as with all players, first touch can always be a little bit better? Mostly just as with all players. Pomichol okay. doesn't have a ton of deficiencies in his game right now. Maybe I should just should have led with that when you asked that question. There isn't one thing like there is with Brian Reynolds where you say, man, maybe he can work on his his defending a little bit. Pomichol doesn't have that weakness. He is this all-action, really valuable number eight who can play in the modern game. He can play in transition. He can play in possession. He can defend in a block. He can high press. He can He can do it all. But the one thing he hasn't been able to do is stay on the field. And that's that's what I want to see. All right, so Joe wants to see Paxton Pomacall on the field, uh, but just see more of him in general. And that is about how I feel with our final player, uh, because now it's time to talk about Cade Cowell. Does that sound good to oh, you, yeah. Joe Lowry? Oh, yeah, the Disney villain. Bring it. The Disney villain, and I want to pause here to ask you, I said the right player, right? Because there are too many Cades and Cadens, and I want to make sure that I said <laughs> the name correctly. Yeah, so we've got Cade Cowell with San Jose and then Caden Clark, who is we reportedly go. going to Leipzig from the New York Red Bulls, who also scored a goal this weekend. <laughs> Cade Cowell didn't score a goal, but he still did, did some not. nice things. So yeah, lots of, lots of C names that also have the A sound in them. I can understand the confusion. It's all very confusing. But also, Joe, you have, <laughs> uh, I would say much more familiarity with Cade Cowell than I, because I have not sat down and watched a San Jose game yet or had not prior to recording this show. You certainly have. You've talked about him, uh, on past shows. I think last week we talked about Cade Cowler you did so what for people who are new to him which is understandable given that he's 17 what were sort of the things that you see in his game the aspects that you most enjoy and for you what were some of the things that you wanted to see him work on before I talk about what I saw him do against RSL he's super physical really fast really strong loves to get in behind a back line kind of bend his run and break in behind whether that's him playing as a nine which he has he started as the number nine for all four of the earthquakes games so far this year he likes to get him behind from a central spot or from from the wing 
He's also really willing to try stuff, and that stuff doesn't always work out, but he's not afraid to try and, and nutmeg you or try to dribble past you. And so he does a lot of encouraging things with the ball. He's also raw at times. Sometimes his first touch really does need to be softer on a regular basis, and that's just not a nitpicky thing. That's a real thing for Cade Cowell. I think that can be improved. His defensive awareness is still being shaped, and he's still learning some of those things. So there's a lot to like about Cade Cowell. He's probably the hottest prospect in MLS right now from a from an American standpoint and certainly from a younger American standpoint. But there's plenty to be worked on as well, and that's okay. He's a, yep. I think he's 17, so there there's mm-hmm. time here. Uh, Joe, basically everything you just said, uh, you could watch this game against RSL and it is there on display because he is <laughs> leading that line. He is trying to make those runs in behind. He's also sort of happy to fight for cleared balls. He's happy to be the outlet and battle for things because he does have size and strength that does not make sense for how young he is. Uh, I'm assuming that will continue to develop. For people who haven't seen him, the player that he most reminds me of is a is a slightly bigger Jordan Morris. A lot of that is hmm. not necessarily the way he plays, but just the sort of he almost looks a little top heavy where like the shoulders are so broad that it looks <laughs> like he maybe like shouldn't be able to balance but can. And he has a similar kind of like head down running style to Jordan Morris. I don't know if he has the outright speed that Morris does. What, what do you make of 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 Cade, of Cade Cowell's speed? Yeah, first of all, Cade Cowell's been uh, hitting push day real hard for the last <laughs> 87 years as far as I can tell. And that I think that's contributing to the broad shoulders there. I I don't know if he has Jordan Morris acceleration, but I think he has Jordan Morris top speed. I think he really is a danger in the open field and one of the faster players in MLS at, you know, when he's out in space. I, I would be really curious to see a track meet between Jordan Morris, a fully healthy Jordan Morris and Cade Cowell. But I don't know who has the edge there. Either way, Taylor, I think your observation is solid. I think he is yeah. a head down Maybe a slightly more creative version because he is willing mm-hmm. to to try and not make yeah. someone to try to dribble past you. But the rough comparison certainly is is there, and I think that's a really helpful one from a stylistic standpoint. And so then, where I would continue it is thinking about Jordan Morris early on and only using one foot and trying the Travella. And is he more than just kind of pace and strength? And I think we now have a resounding answer being yes. I think we want to see Cade Cowell continue to develop and add those different skill sets to his game that make him a more versatile player. And again, we're talking about a teenager here. There's plenty of time. But Joe, I think you are dead on that first touch and sort of technical ability if he improves that between now and the end of the season that makes him I would say a 50% better player because he has the strength to battle and even when he loses the ball he can then use that physicality to put the uh, opponent under pressure to win the ball back or just to kind of if it then ends up as a 50-50 he can battle that player off to get possession but oftentimes it's because that first touch pops up in the air or goes five yards out in front of him or goes the wrong way. And that is just a learning curve thing that is just a getting more comfortable and more confident on the ball sort of thing. But it's a thing that has to happen because you can't have these counterattacks. You can't have the fluidity of the attacking moves that Almeida wants to be as successful if they're slowing down because the player doesn't have that first touch locked down. There's one moment in the first half where the ball goes into him and he tries to sort of do the... Uh, ball coming in from a central position, he tries to kind of open up and just do the one-touch in-step pass down the line. It's like an in-step flick more than it is a pass, and instead he plays it straight out of bounds behind his teammate. Mm-hmm. And so you see what he's trying to do, but it just doesn't quite come off. And that happens in the game, but when it's 
partnered with a first touch popping up in the air, a first touch going out of bounds, you start to see how he can, if he can tighten things up, suddenly he just becomes so much more of a dangerous player because now the ball at his feet, you're not going to be able to muscle him off. It's a little bit like Didier Drogba, where if he can get that first touch, if he can get that technical control down, it just becomes such a different entity to have to deal with if you're a defender. It means you've probably got to put two people on him, and that opens up chances for somebody else, for another teammate. And even in the dying moments, he's not involved in either goal as they do end up pulling this one back. But he's in the box when Wondolowski gets, I believe, both goals. But the second one, he's at the back post. Wondolowski has just a little bit better position and gets there for the header. But you can see the RSL players tracking Cade Cowell and putting somebody on him and having two people sort of there because they know he's going to battle for stuff. And not to say that he makes a run that pulls people out of position or anything like that, just that his presence is a distraction for uh, for the opponent. And if he gets that ability just that much better, that distraction becomes a threat and that threat becomes an obstacle that you have to find a way to deal with and I think makes San Jose that much more difficult of a team to face. So I really liked what I saw, even in a game where he didn't have many highlight moments. He has one good run at the end that ends in a shot that goes wide. Fine. But overall, I think those little technical moments, those little bits of control, that's what I want to see him improve uh, as we talk about him as the season progresses. Yeah, I agree with all that, Taylor. I think that's really good analysis of his game. I think Cade Cowell is going to be really good. Yep. I think he's going to be really, really good, maybe great. And he's so young. And so I'm definitely jumping the gun here. And I still want to look at him and, and watch him improve and see if he does become that more well-rounded player. One of the, on one of the clips that you sent me, Taylor, you captioned it. Cowell looking strong, if not good. And we still see that. I think that's a really, really wise and almost poetic way to put it. We see that and even add in a twist of, of his willingness to make things happen and create. And the building blocks are there. There are visual, yeah. you know, visible, observable weaknesses in his game. But if he can continue to improve those things, he has all the traits and all the willingness to go out there and, and just ball. I think he, I think he's a really high level prospect and I yeah. think it's a high likelihood that he turns into a very, very strong player. I agree with you. And I'm glad you brought up that, that, that moment because the final thing I think to bring it all home is that that is sort of a highlight moment if you watch it because it's just like, look how strong this dude is at this young age. Brian Dunseth, I think, was doing the color commentary on the feed that I was watching on. And he was just sort of like, oh, can you believe that? That's ridiculous. That's amazing. And he's not wrong. It is this just holding off an opponent and eventually drawing the foul. And that's great. But the reason he has to do that and the reason why I said that sent you that message was because it's a bad first touch that then makes it a 50-50 that he has to fight for. And he gets position and wins the foul. But it's sort of a situation of his own creation. And that's where Hmm. he's very strong, but it's not necessarily a good moment. And I think as we see the highlight moments, those become rarer. And the moments like he had against, I think, D.C. or maybe it was Dallas where he splits four players with an outside of the football, which again, Jordan Morris, the Travella. But as we see those moments become more common, those technical moments, those great passes, those moments of vision, those key chances created moments increase, and those drew a foul after a bad touch moments decrease, I think we're going to see a lot more uh, mention and coverage of Cade Cowell, especially from a national team perspective. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I'm excited to see Kate Cowell, Caden Clark, all the C's yeah, all the as C's. they continue to develop in Major League Soccer. On that note, uh, Joe Lowry, anything else? And we should note that if the soccer thing doesn't work out, he does, as you said, have the fallback as the Disney villain. So yep. lots of career yep. options for Cade Cowell. Hopefully Definitely. it doesn't end up being that. Joe, anything else to talk about before we call this one a day? Not a thing for me, Taylor. All right. Well, what have you got going on this week? Uh, MLS Assist is out, obviously. I know you all did some lister questions. But in terms of your written work, what have you been working on? What have you got coming up? Yeah, I wrote a piece that dropped for MLSsoccer.com. This morning, actually, I wrote a piece called The Wando Chronicles and talked about the San Jose RSL game and looked at pretty much every step that Chris Wondolowski took on the way to his brace to win that game for San Jose. He is still such a valuable MLS player. You know, I think he is one of the strongest bench options that any coach has in MLS. And so I went back and watched every step he took and uh, wrote a fun piece about that. And then I'm working on a Daryl DK story right now. So I guess all I do is write about forwards now. Yeah, I've done I like Chicharito. It. I like it. Uh, now Wando, now Daryl DK. But keep your eyes peeled for that. Hopefully later this week, if not then early next week. W- what is the uh, the premise of the Daryl DK article? Or are we still figuring that out? Oh, no, the premise is established. We're still working through the brunt labor, the physical labor, not physical, but the mental labor, if nothing else. Uh, I'm going back and watching every single shot that Daryl DK has taken for Barnsley in the English Championship this season, and uh, we'll see what we learn along the way, Taylor. Wow. That is a <laughs> Joe Lowry article, if ever I've heard one. So, Joe, I will stop delaying you from writing that article and watching all those goals. I would just say thank you, as always, for taking the time to chat with me about the many, the many Americans who did things this past weekend. Thank you, as always, for having me. The many is the word that I just said there. Listeners, <laughs> thank you all very much for listening, and we will talk to you all again very soon. You gotta